Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Checkup with Chris Bolton. Of course, it's your boy, Chris Bolton. Joining us, have a special guest with us here in this episode. Of course, we're going to do some more NBA draft talk. And if we're going to talk the NBA draft, then we got to have the experts with us. We have Matt Babcock joining us. Of course, an NBA draft analyst with Babcock Hoops, former NBA agent, also, you might have seen him do some work with CBS Sports HQ and with SI Now. Matt, appreciate you joining me. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. So just tell me, how difficult has it been, like, you know, evaluating this draft? It's been a much longer process than normal with the season being delayed and everything being pushed back now until the wintertime with uh, the NBA draft happening in November. So just talk about the, the process and how it's been for you uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, I've, get, I've gotten this question quite a bit lately. And, uh, you know, a couple of things that, that come to mind is, obviously this pre-draft process has been, you know, unprecedented. I mean, it's been, you know, by the time the draft happens, it'll be about seven months rather than two months uh, for how it usually is. So that's been a lot different. We haven't been traveling quite as much. We, we just started recently the last month doing a couple of trips just to see some guys. Um, but, you know, as far as evaluating the draft, um, I mean, we really do our best to get ahead of things. And so by the time the, you know, we get to March, we knew all these kids. And, uh, you know, so there's still some work to do, a lot of intel work. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, the stuff we're doing in the pre-draft process, in my opinion, is sort of fluff work anyway. These, uh, these pre-draft workouts, um, you know, I, I think could be somewhat misleading. I mean, I, I like watching guys play organized basketball and seeing how they you know, how they play with there. And that's the best, right. best uh, outlet to evaluate. And we already did that. And so, uh, you know, and, and we weren't all that limited to, to, you know, gather more intel. I mean, that's, that's done over the phone. We did a lot of Zoom calls. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, I, I personally feel uh, very confident that I know this draft well. I mean, we had, we had, you know, extremely long time to do our homework. So yeah. it's kind of one of these things like, you know, guys like myself or NBA teams, if, if you don't know what's going on now, you probably need to find a new job. <laughs> Right, right. No, definitely. And um, I'm pretty sure, you know, you've had you probably had your board set for a while now. You mentioned it hasn't been many games going on. So maybe a little fluctuation here and there for the most part has probably been set. Yeah, for, you know, for the most part, I think, uh, you know, the intel has shifted things a little bit with certain guys. And you know, we've, we've uh, spent a lot of time talking to get, you know, uh, different different players and getting to know them. Uh, and so there, there have been some shifts, you know, with, with some of the new information we've collected. Uh, but for the most part, there hasn't been too much, you know, dramatic moves the last, you know, several months. Gotcha. And um, how many drafts have you bro uh, broken down? You know, how, how long in the, in the game, in the industry have you been at this? Well, you know, so I was an agent for a long time, uh, for 10, 10 plus years. Uh, so I've been doing this exactly for, for several years. Uh, but one important you know, thing to know about my background is I grew up in an NBA family. So my dad, my two uncles, I've all worked in the NBA since the late 70s. And so I've, uh, you know, it's funny, my, my day to day right now, I feel like I've been doing it since I was a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So just tell me, what can the people expect draft night? You know, there's, there's always a lot of trades, a lot of movement. Can we expect more movement with this draft, especially with the uncertainty with the NBA season, with how the financials could work out? Teams might be wanting to make some trades, um, thinking about the long term with the money and everything. Um, and there's also just a bunch of nice players that are in the the lower level of the draft, you know, from the picks 10, 15 on even to the second round. It's not too much of a gap between the guys. So what can we expect draft night? You know, draft night's always a lot of fun. There's always, you know, it's, it's always somewhat unpredictable. Uh, I think this year's going to be the same. Uh, you know, some people have mentioned that, 
you know, maybe teams are going to want to get out of the draft or whatnot because of financial issues. Uh, I actually see it being the opposite. I, I think free agency is going to be, be a little different this year or a lot different because uh, teams are going to be worried about money. Uh, rookie deals are cheap. And so, I mean, if you're, if you're you know, able to target guys you think can play in your rotation or even just give you depth uh, within your roster, rookies are valuable because they're, they're the cheapest players in the league. Uh, and so I, I don't see a scenario where everybody's going to be scrambling to get out of the draft because uh, of financial concerns. Um, you know, another part of it, too, that's unique this year is there's a, a ton of parity towards the top of the draft. And even within the middle of the draft, I mean, you know, however detailed somebody does their, their tiers, I, I keep mine, you know, probably a little bit more wide open than, than mm-hmm. a lot of people do. Uh, but there's a lot of parity. I mean, top to bottom in this draft. Uh, and so with, with that being said, I, I could easily see there being a lot of movement uh, just because teams are going to be looking at fit more than draft value. Whereas in some years, you know, it's, it's pretty solidified. Hey, we've got player X, Y, and Z. Their value's here they need to be taken in the slot. I think there's a lot more flexibility this year. And so with that, um, I'm kind of prepared for anything for draft. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is honestly, it's a very unique draft. I've really never seen so many guys who in this like 30, 40 players who all can honestly, you can make a case or argument are in the same tier of player, you know, all could be high quality impact role pieces for their teams. So um, it's going to be a fun draft. Definitely. So looking at your mock draft, uh, you do a great job with it as well. Let's just start at the top. You have Anthony Edwards slotted number one overall to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Just talk about why Minnesota should take Ant there. Yeah, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've been talking about this a lot lately. And, you know, Minnesota is a tough, a tough team to, to project what they're going to do. I mean, it, it's interesting. They, they you know, didn't have a very good year as far as wins and losses last year. Uh, but their, their team's starting to take shape. They've got a lot of y- nice young pieces. And you kind of, you know, uh, you know, foresee like how this is going to unfold with them. Um, you know, they've got a big draft. They've got the first pick, 17th pick, and the 33rd pick. Right. And so right. they've got a lot of flexibility. And going back to the, the you know, the, the narrative of there's a lot of parity towards the top, I think they go in a number of different directions. Um, you know, and, and before the lottery happened, Minnesota is one of those teams I did not want to win the lottery just because <laughs> I didn't want to have to make the pick public because it's just, you know, Anthony Edwards, to me, he's got the most talent in the draft. Uh, but I also really like Malik Beasley, who they just traded for uh, prior to the trade deadline, who averaged 20 points a game in 14 games for them. Right. Um, he's going to be a restricted free agent. You take Edwards, how does that how does that work? You know, yeah, and so exactly. um, you know, same thing with to, uh, Lamelo Ball too, with the yeah, D'Angelo Russell Lamello, just being traded. I'm not sure if Lamelo makes a whole lot of sense with with D'Lo. You know, and mm-hmm. so um, I mean, those are two of the higher upside guys. Um, you know, there's some whispers that Wiseman's in the mix for number one. Um, I mean, now we're talking about playing two seven-footers together, you know, with Wiseman and Cat. And so there's really not a clear-cut answer there of who, who's the right pick for them at number one. I personally think the best fits are Obi Toppin uh, and Denny Abdia. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I keep going back and forth on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, I decided to go with Edwards if they stay put and don't trade the pick. Edwards got the most talent in the draft, even though I don't think he's an absolute sure thing. Uh, but with there being so much doubt, I just went with the highest highest talent. It's funny that you bring up Obi Toppin because, you know, looking at his game, he seems like one of the, the more ready players coming out of this rookie class to make an impact immediately. Someone that, you know, kind of looks like they can average 15, 16 points a game and, you know, be an instant rookie of the year contender. So uh, how do you feel about Obi's game? Yeah, I mean, I, you echoed about pretty much what, exactly what I was thinking is, uh, you know, he's a little bit older, uh, but he's a late bloomer. I think that's one important part of the evaluation with him is, you know, I'm not just looking at his age. I mean, he gained, you know, a, a, a bunch of height the last few years. And, 
his body's really come together and he's obviously worked hard to, to improve. Um, you know, he had, had the tremendous year for Dayton. I mean, their whole team just had a, you know, re- really incredible year. It was really sad right. to see the tournament getting canceled for them. And know, even man, a, team, really a team like San Diego State, the same thing. It's just these mid-majors that it's just, I mean, they could have made deep runs and, you know, in the tournament. San Diego uh, States of the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And so, anyway, I, I agree with you that Toppin's going to be a guy uh, that's going to be able to step in and be productive right away. I, I, you know, if I were to bet on it, I think he's probably going to be an early favorite to be rookie of the year because I think I think his offensive game and maturity, you know, translates seamlessly. Just being a dynamic athlete that can also shoot the ball, and he's got a high basketball IQ too. It just doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, going back to the Minnesota conversation, uh, I, I'm really I'm not going to be surprised with anything they do. And, uh, if I were to bet on it, I, I think they trade that pick. Gotcha. And um. Would you say the same thing uh, for Golden State? You know, I see you have them, if they stay whole at number two, taking James Wiseman. Do you feel like they're probably a, a prime team to trade back as well? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I mean, I've heard all kinds of rumors coming out of Golden State. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what's real and what's not. I say, if not your name's I, been mentioned in the lottery, you've been linked to Golden State. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, I'm talking to everybody and gathering intel, but I'm – I'm very wary of what's real and what's not. <laughs> so it, uh, I mean, if it were me personally, this is how we do our mock draft is, you know, we pretty much simulate that we're either putting our, you know, in the shoes of the general manager or we're assistant general manager advising them. Uh, that's kind of how we approach our mock draft rather than, you know, try and be, you know, like Woj or Shams and, and project what these picks are going to be. Um, and so with Gold State, I, I think they should add one of the big guys. I think Wiseman uh, is, is the best fit there. Uh, if he's off the board, I, I personally would go with a Kungwu. I don't know if necessarily that's what they're going to do. That's what I would do, though. No, I, I really like uh, Onyeka's game a lot. He seems like that that modern center. You know, he's he's proven that he can move his feet on defense, and that's always a big plus when it comes to how teams switch on defense in the NBA. So I think Onyeka would definitely be a nice fit. Just looking at the rest of your mock draft, you have Lamelo going to yeah Onyeka going to the Hornets. Uh, LaMelo Ball to Chicago, Obi to the Cavs, Kyra Lewis jumping up and uh, going number seven to Detroit. Talk about why you feel like Kyra has a chance of going uh, seven to Detroit ahead of Killian Hayes, who is another player, uh, another point guard that a lot of people are high on. Yeah, with Kyra, I mean, it's been, you know, a gradual progress with him as far as my evaluation. I mean, I watched him a ton his freshman year when he was a 17-year-old playing, playing high major basketball, yeah. basketball which is, is pretty impressive by itself. Uh, and he's really just uh, – he's grown on me. You know, some of my guys that work with me have been high, higher on him than I have. And uh, they've just kept chipping away. And one of our guys went and saw him in Miami a couple weeks ago and just gathered new information. And I just – my comfort level with him has just increased. And, you know, the more I think about it, the more I evaluate it and break it down, you know, his, his elite speed and shooting ability, I think just are, are going to work in the NBA very well. And so, I mean, comparing him to a guy, let's say like Killian Hayes, who I've had higher than him mo- most of the pre-draft process, um, I've just gradually just kind of uh, got a little bit more of a grip on both of them in my mind. And uh, I just think Kyra's game translates better. And so Detroit is in a situation where, you know, a young developing team, kind of very different than Minnesota in the sense that I think they've got somewhat of a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple nice pieces, but it's not, it's not all put together. The world yet. is theirs. They can, they just need, they just need NBA talent. Right. Exactly. You're absolutely right. So I mean, I think that they've got a pretty big group that they could look at four or five guys. Uh, I mean, there's some rumors that Lamelo could slip there. I know they're kind of scrambling, doing doing work on him because uh, they didn't think he was going to be there initially, and now now there's a chance. Um, 
So, you know, with Kyra, it gives them a, a guy they can pencil on as their point guard of the future. Uh, and he, you know, at the very least, he's going to at least be a decent player just with his speed and shooting ability. And he seems like a really great kid too. So I don't know if he's got, you know, superstar potential or anything like that, but I think he's going to be a pretty solid player in the NBA. No, that's definitely a great point. This kind of seems like a draft where you want to kind of key in on, if you're a team, maybe key in on a player that has a specific great skill point. For Kyra, it's his speed and athleticism. Um, for, you know, LaMelo, he has his uh, great passing out of the pick and roll. Uh, players like Tyrell Terry and other guys, you know, Mark Smith on the outside. So it definitely seems like, you know, you can't go wrong getting a player who has something that you at least know they're going to be very good at. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, we, we identify guys. I mean, you know, the, when we're looking at there, there's so many different variables that we take in consideration with, with you know, kind of putting a value uh, on a guy. And, um, you know, in the simplify it, if, if a player doesn't have talent, it's not worth talking about all the other stuff, right? So, I mean, that's the prerequisite of playing the NBA is you need NBA talent. And so then now, you know, once you figure out who's got the right talent that you think translates to the league, now you look at all the other variables as far as personality, character, you know, work ethic, uh, competitiveness and all these things. And so, I mean, that's where there's been the biggest shift uh, in this year's draft, you know, for guys like myself, uh, but also NBA teams as far as just getting a grip of what makes guys tick. Uh, and there's a lot of guys that I have higher on, on my board than, than a lot of the media does. And uh, I think I have, you know, a, a, a pretty good amount of access with my background working as an agent and my family in the NBA uh, in, in my staff around me that have NBA experience as well. And so, uh, we take pride in, in getting getting as much information as we possibly can, and I think it really reflects in our in our in our draft board. Definitely, definitely. And so, just to finish up the rest of your lottery, uh, you have a Coro from Auburn to the Knicks, Devin Vassell to the Wizards, Hayes to the Suns, Patrick Williams to Spurs, Aaron E. Smith to the Kings, Tyrese Halliburton going to the Pelicans, and Isaiah Stewart to the Celtics. What of your lottery picks do you feel like is probably your favorite pick? You know, the the, the fit that makes the, the most sense that you really like? Mm. You know, in that order, I would probably say Patrick Williams to San Antonio. I, I like that pick a lot. You know, San Antonio, they're they're an interesting deal. They're they're kind of re, you know rebuilding, right? As they, even though they've got some some good players with DeRozan and Aldridge and all that, but uh, I think that the writing on the wall is that this is you know kind yeah, of they're at that crossroads, right? Yeah, tiptoeing into that next the next era, um, and and I I really like what they've done with their their young perimeter players and, and assets, and uh, I mean they you know committed a lot of money to Dejounte Murray at point. Got Derek White, who's a good player. Lonnie Walker, who's who's come coming along. Kelvin Johnson is a lottery pick last year, a mid first round pick last year. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think they need to address uh, their four and their five and get some young pieces there. Uh, I would be tempted to look at the big guys. Uh, I like uh, Isaiah Stewart. Um, I like Zeke Naji. I think it might be on their high end draft draft wise, but I do like the fits there. Uh, if Patrick Williams is there, which I'm questioning if he actually will be, uh, he's a guy that, that that I think could fill like a modern a hybrid forward where he plays like a lot of small ball four. Yeah. Uh, kind of gives yes. him a young, young upside piece. I, I don't necessarily know if he's ready to step in and you know, light the world on fire, but you know, two, three years down the road could be a good starter at the, you know, you know, small ball four. Uh, and so that, that, if he's there, I think that would be a great pick for them. No, definitely. I really like that point you made saying, you know, he's a, a definitely a hybrid four. Cause that's where I see him. I've seen him, people talk about him either playing a three or the four. I really want to see him go in the right situation because I think if a team develops him correctly, he could be a Draymond Green type. You know, I think that's definitely the mold that he kind of possesses with the, 
his ability to pass in that, that short roll game and his defensive versatility. So he definitely is a very intriguing player. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, one thing with him, I, I started watching him a couple, you know, two or three years ago when he was in high school, and I thought he was going to be a big wing. Uh, and, and he's really, you know, as he's gotten older, I think a lot of it's just sort of naturally, he's really filled out. Like, I think he's going to be a big guy when it's all said and done. I mean, sometimes I think we lose sight and when we're evaluating these guys, they're 18, 19 years old. And so regardless of what they're doing in the weight room and their habits and, and, and whatnot, uh, a lot of them are just going to get bigger just as they, as they mature, just, you know, get older. Uh, and so, I mean, if, you, if you're projecting Patrick Williams as a 25 to 30 year old, I mean, this is probably going to be a body type that fits more of a, a you know, of a, of a modern day four uh, rather than a big wing. And so I do think he has the flexibility uh, and, and versatility to play multiple positions and be switchable on defense. I do think he could be a guy long-term if he develops properly penciled in as a four that you can kind of build around and, and use different lineups around, you know? Definitely, definitely. And um, so you mentioned the Spurs maybe wanting to get uh, like a big man, a four or five type. How do you think uh, Alexei Pokushevsky, you know, how he would kind of pan out and maybe could be a, a player that the Spurs are on the lookout for? He's, he's plenty of people have been talking about Poku, you know, he's the seven foot size, the ability to handle the ball um, coming out of Serbia, playing at Olympiacos. Uh, how do you think that could possibly fit? What's your evaluations on Poku? Yeah, Poku is extremely intriguing, and we've been on him for a while. I've got uh, uh, Jason Felipe, who's a 20-year NBA veteran scout based in Bologna, Italy, works with me, uh, and he's had me watching Poku for for a long time. Um, and we we had him we had him as a late first-round pick uh, in our first mock draft in the fall. And so we've kept a, you know a heavy pulse on him, even though he's played second division Greece, which is not a very good league. Um, you know, and he's he's kind of like the unicorn 2.0, right? He's he's a seven-footer. Uh, weighs like 190 pounds. Soaking he, wet. But he, he, is, he is so skilled. I mean, he shoots the ball from outside, handles it, passes it, just got a really you know, nice feel for the game. Um, you know, I really question his, his physical limitations. And so he's one of these guys where I think he's extremely high risk, high reward. I mean, I, I, could, see, I could see a world where he never really carves out a, a, you know, a career in the NBA, or I could see him being a good starter. So he's, he's a guy where, you know, if you're taking him, you probably can't depend on him for a couple of years. Uh, so I, I think San Antonio, I think that would be really high for him. Uh, but I, I do think he goes in the first round. Got you. And so just looking at the rest of the mock, you have RJ Hampton to the Magic. I think that would be a, a very intriguing, very nice pick at that point. Um, Hampton definitely seems like he has star potential with his natural speed and everything. Um, talk about that pick there for the Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I, your analysis is really good. <laughs> I'm impressed with, with the comments you're making so far. Um, yeah, RJ is an upside guy. You know, I mean, he was one of the top guys out of high school in his class. Uh, he, he's sort of a guy, he's got all the right tools. I mean, his phys physical tools are incredible. I mean, he's got, he's got star potential with that speed, that burst and explosiveness. Uh, you know, I think he handles the ball pretty well. I think his shooting mechanics are, are fine. Um, he just needs to kind of put it all together. He's never really played well at any level, uh, you know, consistently. And so he's the guy that's always sort of teased you, including this year in Australia, he had a pretty up and down year. But, I mean, if you really watch it and you kind of look at it glass half full, yeah. I mean, you get really excited about that kid. And so, I mean, you get out of the lottery, you're in the mid-first round now. Uh, Orlando, I think at that point, there's some pressure off of taking the high-risk, high-reward high guy. Um, you know, I, I could foresee that guy being a big-time player. I mean, sort of what I was talking about with Pogosevsky – uh, but he does need he does need to develop and get better, and so there is risk there. Uh, but at 15, I think that would be a nice fit. And so, 
you have him going to the Magic. Is there another team, you know, outside of the lottery that you feel like would be the ideal fit? You know, that, that's the team that the Magic could take a shot on him. But is there a team that you feel like, you know, looking at the rest of the teams in the league, where if RJ is going to be the best version of himself, where do you think would probably who, – who's that team for him? You know, I think with, when you're talking about, like, developmental players, there, there's a lot uh, less pressure on, on fit because you, you have time, you know. And, and so, I mean, teams, teams, you know, change and evolve over time. I mean, very rarely do you see, you know, extended core units stick together for five years, right, or, or, or something like that. And so, right, right. Uh, I mean, with RJ, I think if he's getting out of the lottery, uh, I think he's good enough, you know, upside-wise – all these teams could be options. I mean, I think that, you know, mm-hmm. Dallas is an interesting one if they stay put there. There's some rumors that they're looking to move that pick. That's my favorite uh, pick for I can them. see Brooklyn. <laughs> I think Brooklyn would probably look at R.J. Hampton. I've heard that they're looking for an upside player. Um, I mean, they've got a really solid core unit, and they're, they're looking to make a run in these right. next couple of years. Uh, and so taking a guy like R.J. that they won't need to depend on, I think that would be that would intriguing be to them. That's I think Jaden J- J- McDaniel is going there right now, and it's a, it's a similar uh, conversation with him as it is R.J., uh, some of the most talented in the draft. I'm not sure how ready he is right now. I think there is a, a significant amount of risk. Uh, but there, I think teams, you get into that range, they start you know, warming up the idea of you know, taking, taking the high-risk guy. And that's a good point. So just kind of looking at the rest of the draft, um, some names that you know, I see you have in the first round that not everybody has kind of jumps out to me is Elijah Hughes going to the Jazz, uh, the combo guard out of – Syracuse. Just talk about, you know, why Elijah would be a nice pickup for Utah. You know, I like, I like Elijah a lot and I, I've been higher on him uh, than, than most for a while now. And, and so is my staff. Um, you know, he's at a, he's sort of at a, an unorthodox uh, path to this point. Uh, not, not, you know, not heavily recruited out of high school. Um, you know, went to East Carolina originally and then transferred to Syracuse. And He's just a perfect example of a kid that's overcome some adversity. He struggled in school um, and really kind of turned that around, um, you know, which I thought was impressive. And he just basketball-wise, he's, he's continued to get better and better every single yeah. year. Um, and just, you know, learning about him and his personality and his mental makeup, he, he's just a, he's a winner. And, and I just – I put a lot of stock into those kinds of things of, you know, toughness, accountability, just, you know, growth mindset. And, um, and there's a number of guys in this draft that kind of check a lot of those boxes, and, and Elijah is certainly one of them. Uh, and, and at Syracuse, you know, it's funny. We went into the year, um, you know, nobody had high expectations for Syracuse. I thought their talent level was extremely down. I mean, I thought they were going to be, you know, bottom of their conference type team. And they ended up winning 18 games, and in large part because Elijah Hughes. He really brought in and carried that team. Um, some people have been criti- you know, crit- uh, critical on him with his shot selection and whatnot. I think it was a situation where – they needed him to do everything. And so with that full green light and, you know, sort of the dependency of, of creating so much, you fall into the, 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 the deal. Where you guys take some bad shots. Yeah, you get, you get yeah. the quick trigger naturally. Um, I think the kid's mature enough and, you know, he's enough of a winner. I think he'll be able to adapt and adjust the next level. And now all of a sudden we're talking about a guy that's got like endless range in, in a much more open game where he's not needed to be the best player. I just I think he's going to be really good, and he's very versatile. He puts the ball on the floor. He's sneaky, athletic, and he's tough. You know, so I, I think Elijah. I think Elijah could be one of those guys. You know, maybe he goes in the twenties or wherever. Um, you know, could could end up finding himself. You know, playing next year a decent amount of minutes. Right, and I don't know if you saw the video of uh, Gilbert Arenas talking about guys playing in college. How you know. Some of them, they just aren't really college players. Their games are better suited to, for the NBA, and that's when they really get to spread their wings and show themselves. And he mentioned Cassius Stanley 
uh, guard from Duke. I see you have him in the first round as well, going to the Bucks. Just talk about, uh, and not a lot of people have Cassius in the first round. So just talk about, you know, why you have him slotted in the first round to the uh, to the Bucks and what kind of player they'll be getting with him. Yeah, you know, Cassius' situation has been frustrating for me all year. I mean, in regards to how he, I just don't think he's gotten enough love. Uh, you know, I've covered him since he was in high school. I've gotten to know him and his dad this last year pretty well. And uh, first of all, just what a great kid. I mean, his, you know, his dad was a sports agent for a long time, and so he kind of he grew up, you know, you know, privileged in the sense of like getting exposure to, to the professional level and how they train and how they operate. Uh, and, and I really respect that because you know I, I kind of grew up in a similar background of, of just kind of seeing the behind the scenes of, of pro sports. And I, and I know the advantages that creates as far as you know allowing proper development. Uh, and, and Cassius just seems like a kid, very mature. I think he's going to take care of business, do what he needs to do to, you know, to, to improve and develop. Uh, and then the simple fact is this kid just measured at 6'5 without shoes. So he's 6'6", he's six, six, you know, mm-hmm. at least as, as far as like normal listing uh, procedures go. Six, 40 six, plus two, inch vertical. Yeah, he's got one of the highest verticals ever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in high school, he really pl- played more as a combo guard. So I've seen him do a lot of stuff on the ball, uh, being a little bit more creative than he was at Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Duke, and, and he and I had talked about this in a Q&A I did with him uh, about the role that he was asked to do at Duke by Coach K. And Coach K really wanted to utilize his athleticism. Their team was stacked. Uh, you know, it was really put Trey in the, you know, in the, in the, the four general leadership role. Uh, and, and Cash was dependent on to be more of like a three where he ran the floor and uh, really just, you know, right. you know uh, relied on catch and shoot opportunities. I guess he hit all of his threes this year, which he shot 36%, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. were all assisted. And so a lot of people have been critical on him that he's not able to create much. Uh, and so I have two arguments to that. One, you know, if we're talking about him as a, as a first-round pick, does he need to be a guy that's an aggressive creator? It's like be, being a complimentary player at a high level is extremely valuable to me. I mean, for example, okay. I have him going to the Bucks. I mean, you've got the best player in the world, and Giannis, that's creating a lot of offense for everybody else. Now you throw in the top athlete in the draft or one of the top athletes in the draft, a guy that's a proven catch-and-shoot, guy that, that's willing and you know, capable and willing to fill a role, there's a lot of value there to me. And so, uh, and he happens to be a good kid. So I, it all kind of adds up in, in my book. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think my way of operating is, is much more similar to an NBA team because I've been trained by my dad and uncles than maybe some of the media. And so um, if I were better, I, I would say I'm, I'm probably closer to right than a lot of these people are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like your evaluation and him going to the Bucks because you mentioned his athleticism. Thinking about that defensive system that they already run and throwing him out there to help guard and play defense and the steal opportunities he can get hitting that fast break, I think it would be a very nice fit in uh and for uh, Milwaukee. And so, just looking at the rest of the draft of your uh, first round, Terry Tyrell Terry to the Knicks, Josh Green to the Lakers, Vernon Carey coming up to uh making the first round to Toronto. What's Another Duke player, how how you feel about Vernon Carey? Because there's several bigs in that late first round area that could be picked right there. Your Tyler Bays, um, your Reggie Perry's, uh, guys like that. So how does why does the Timberwolves? I mean, um, the Toronto Raptors. Why do they take Vernon Carey right there? Well, you know, Carey is uh, you know he's been hyped up for years now. I mean, one of the top guys in the country out of high school, and another guy that I've followed for years now too. And you know, he's got talent. Uh, you know, and, and just to kind of uh, set this up properly, I'm not one of these guys that, that thinks the big man's dead. 
I do think our evaluation of big men is, is needed to change a little bit. And so Vernon does fall into the category of being a big bodied five. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has, has held him back quite a bit. I think that this were 20 years ago, I think he'd be a clear cut lottery pick. Right. Um, and so that, that's one thing that's held him back, you know, being pushed back to, you know, probably more of like a late first round type guy. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, he, he's, uh, He's, he can be a little frustrating because he's a pretty low energy guy, uh, somewhat of a selective motor. I think it's just kind of maybe his personality, uh, just a little low energy. Um, but he's got talent, you know, and he had a really effective freshman year. I think he averaged like 17 and 10 and two blocks yeah. or so, something like that, right? He gets his own um, block. It's pretty much a bucket. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he's talented. And he has shown signs that he, he might be able to shoot a little bit from outside. I mean, he would shoot threes here and there. And um, he's got talent as far as with Toronto – um, you know, they've got, they've got some, you know, uh, Gasol's, it seems like Gasol's out of there. I think Ibaka's the free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really just need, need some, some bodies. And uh, so late, late in the draft, getting a guy with a lot of talent um, that they could, you know, be penciled in as, as, a, as a potential guy that could fill that role for them. Uh, it seemed like it made sense to me. And uh, he, he was just the best big, big man on, on the board at, at that point. Got you. And so, you know, we have the first round out the way. What player – in the second round, if you had to take a bet on anybody that you have projected going in the second round, who's going to be that steal, that guy that works their way into getting that second contract, becomes a high-quality uh, player, and sticks around the league for a while? You know, one guy – I think there's a number of names I could list off, but the one guy that comes to mind that I, I do think is probably going to be a second-round pick uh, that, that I think is capable of stepping in right away and also carving out a long-term career is uh, Jalen Harris uh, from Nevada. Uh, sort of interesting uh, storyline. I mean, similar to Elijah Hughes, you know, not heavily recruited out of high school, ended up going to Louisiana Tech, transferred to Nevada. Uh, you know, and I, I just, I, I can really appreciate guys like that that have kind of grinded it out and improved and, and kind of developed for all the right reasons of hard work and accountability. You know, we've got, we've got so many guys that are so highly touted as 14, 15 year olds that develop a lot of bad habits and Sometimes those guys, it just never clicks because they've been pampered so much along the way. Uh, you know, I, I'd probably be more, be more willing to put my neck on the line that, that's proven to overcome some stuff and, and develop. Uh, and Jalen falls into that boat. I mean, he's a guy that grinded out and has turned himself into a big-time player. I mean, he lit up the Mountain West Conference this, yeah. this past year. And, uh, just a killer instinct scorer. Um, I, I know there has been some mixed reviews on, on, on backgrounds with him. I, I've gotten to know Jalen a little bit. I, I think he's a little bit misunderstood at, at times. Uh, you know, he's a pretty quiet kid, keeps to himself, um, you know, not, not a very, you know, vocal leader. He's not ever going to be the guy that's going to run for mayor kind of guy, but he's a worker and he's competitive and, uh, and he's a baller. I mean, he's a proven basketball player, right? And um, I, I just, I think he's a guy, you can play him at the point, you play him off the, off the ball, uh, and he's just going to compete and, and, and kick your ass kind of guy, you know? And so and that's I'm a big what you fan. Need. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jalen. I think he's, I think he's going to, I think he gets it. And I think he's going to do well. You mentioned the Mountain West. You know, there's several guys coming out of the Mountain West in this draft that, that project to be some top picks. Uh, you got your Malachi Flynn's, Sam Merrill's, those kind of guys. Um, what, what is it now, I guess, about basketball that you don't necessarily have to be at a Duke or Kentucky now to be one of the guys picked, um, you know, one of the top players coming out? Now it seems like the guys are just spreading out all over. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily anything new. Uh, I mean, especially this day and age with uh, with technology, and we've got all these video services and social media. Uh, you know, I mean, I tell I tell young young players this all the time: if you're good enough, like we'll find you. You know, I mean, this is not you know this is not you know my dad started working in the NBA in the late '90s, um, and I think at that point, I mean, there's some you know still some hidden gems, especially internationally. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist anymore. I mean, I think Giannis 
was probably as close as it gets, you know, being, being a guy that was somewhat hidden in plain sight. Everybody had seen him, but the sample size was so small. That's, that's probably the most extreme we'll ever see, you know. And so uh, whether you, you play Division two or we got Jay Scrub coming from a junior college, right, right. you know, I mean, we'll, if, if you've got talent, we'll find you. Got you. Um, I really appreciate you joining, Matt. Just giving me your thoughts, uh, telling the people, you know, your, your breakdown about the prospects and what we can expect for this draft. It's going to be fun. Um, there, I also noticed that you have Tyrese Maxey going 26 to the Celtics. You know, he's a player that a lot of people are up and down on. Some people have them really high on their board. I've seen them slotted in the lottery to like the Pelicans or something like that. Um, you have him 26. I want to touch on that real quick. Um, Talk about why you have Maxi at 26 and the fit with Boston. Yeah, no, I, everybody talks to me about Maxi, and, and I know you know it's uh, he's somewhat polarizing, and I'm, I'm one that falls on, on one one extreme compared to some people that have him as a you know lottery type pick. Uh, you know, he, first of all, he seems like a great kid. I, I've never talked to him personally, but I've been around him quite a bit. I've followed him since high school. Uh, seems like a really good kid. Has, has a really nice approach to the game, and just his just just his presence in general seems like somebody you would want on your team. Uh, my my concerns with him is you know, he's probably about 6'2". Um, mm-hmm. I question his feel for the game, um, his basketball IQ. I think he's somewhat of a simple-minded player. Uh, and I, I don't mean that to be overly negative. And the reason I say that is I, I just – I don't trust his ability to play point guard. Right, um, right. You can look at him more as a secondary playmaker. Yeah, and so, I mean, now we're talking about a 6'2 guy uh, that's, in my mind, pretty much strictly a, a shooting guard that's very undersized. And, you know, I mean, if you look at it, how, how many undersized two guards have really done that well? And, and many, the, the amount of talent that they have, I mean, you look at a guy like Lou Williams, who from a talent standpoint, I mean, is like one of the best scores we've seen in the last 10 years. He just is 6'1", 6'2", so he's been somewhat limited in what he could do, but he's got that amount of talent. And so that holds him back for me a lot. And I think one, one big discrepancy with smaller guards is, you know, sort of the modern way of scouting. And a lot of analytics guys look at it this way is, you know, that instead of having, you know, traditional five positions, they look at guards, wings, and bigs. Um, I, I've drifted away from my old school approach uh, more than I, than I was maybe several years ago, but I still like identifying guys with, with you know, traditional, traditional positions. I, I, I like having primary ball handlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still like having defensive anchor, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, you know, Tyrese is just kind of one of these guys that's on, on the lower end for me. Uh, and a lot of it is probably preference and I'm, I'm aware of that. But uh, the thing about it is, that's how NBA teams operate too. They all have the luxury of, of creating things the way they see fit, you know? And so, um, you know, doing a mock draft perfectly, I think is uh, impossible. And so this is just how we do it and do the best we can. And so Max is just kind of a victim of, of uh, you know, my approach. No, that's a good point though. I mean, we nobody's going to be able to perfectly predict the draft. Like just like we said, it's going to be picks. There's going to be movement at, at this point, you know, you're just, putting guys that you prefer that you think would be good players at, at the right picks and everything like that. So, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but um, this has been fun. I really appreciate your analysis. Uh, I really enjoy the the content that you and your team are producing. been checking you out for a while now. So I'm very excited. You can take some time out, sit down with me and, you know, talk some NBA draft. No, man, thanks for having me, Chris. This was fun. Appreciate it. And uh, so we're going to wrap things up. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. It's been another episode to check up with Chris Bolton. We'll do this again next week. Holla at y'all.